Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning into the Teacher Mindset Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping teachers out there and bringing them as much value as possible. I am your host, Marissa Esterhazen, and on today's episode, I'm so excited. We speak to Josh. He's a teacher in uh, Australia doing grade nine, and we focus on discussing the mental health of teachers, the mental health of students. Josh's uh, involvement in the RISE program, which I found so interesting, including his tips for high school and his advice to new teachers. And lastly, Josh is going to give us his go-to when it gets when he needs to stay a little bit calm in the middle of the chaos. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. All right, everyone, thank you so much for uh, joining us today on the podcast. And we are, I'm super excited because I have my friend Josh here, who's a teacher. He's been teaching, gosh, as long as I was teaching. How long has it been now, Josh? 21 years. 21 years. Crazy. So just to let you know, Josh is a grade nine teacher in Australia, and I'm really excited to be talking to him. He's also a learning support specialist living in Brisbane. And Josh, I think just let's start with uh, letting our listeners know, maybe tell me a bit about, or tell us a bit about yourself. I already know about you, but <laughs> because we've been friends for so long, but tell, tell us a bit about yourself. What motivated you to become a teacher? You know, what grades and areas have you taught? Anything you feel would be interesting. Yeah, great. No worries. Thanks, Maris. It's good to be on here as well. Um, yeah, I guess for me, I've really taught every year. Uh, I've taught in England, in Canada, and in Australia. Uh, New South Wales and Queensland, which do have their differences, but probably not as much as the co- the countries do. Um, but I've taught every year. Uh, my probably focus area or main area of strengths would be your year four to year nine, uh, maybe year 10. So your 11 and 12 is probably that little bit more um, complex curriculum wise side of things. And the younger ones, I originally thought that's what I meant was meant to teach, but it takes a special person to teach those little ones. So good on you if you do. Um, yeah, so I would say between that, my key areas would be year four uh, to about that year nine, year 10. And most of my life in teaching has been learning support. So I've had, uh, I've been the head of a, a learning support department for years. And um, yeah, it's just, I've talked a lot. I've done a lot of webinars and seminars um, and, and whatnot, PD. In, in delivering and discussing learning support and how to support students of, of um, all abilities and, and all ages and all uh, difficulties. And do you feel um, like was that, was that sort of a calling for you? Like, how did you sort of get into that area of, of learning support? Yeah, it, uh, really, I originally, like I said, I thought I had, it was supposed to do the, the young ones. So I really thought that's what I was supposed to do. Um, but I found that uh, um, I just kind of leaned more towards high school. And then one of my first crafts, uh, so I did my teaching in Australia the year before you did yours. Yeah. Um, and uh, I one of my cracks was at a learning support school. They needed someone. So I said, sure, no problem. And then really it's followed me to England where that's what I did learning support there at a high school. And then in Canada, I did, um, I was in a classroom in Canada and uh, in Toronto. And uh, however, the learning support was still quite act, uh, quite active and I had a lot to do with it. Um, and then coming to Australia, learning support's been basically where I've gone most of the way through here. So it's, yeah, it's been, I don't know, it wasn't really necessarily where I start, thought I would start off, but it's definitely been one where I've, I've gone since then. Awesome. And have you noticed like over time, um, if there's been more students that are classified as needing like 
um, learning support or has it kind of remained consistent? What have you noticed in terms of like within the last 20 years? I would say numbers, there's been an increase. It's, it's a good question too, but numbers has been an increase, but also types that are diagnosed. Now, I would imagine, again, globally, depending on who is out there listening, uh, it would be different in different areas. But certainly for me, the last few years here in Australia, it has been mental health has been a massive increase. So whereas before, say, autism or ADHD were the bulk of your students at different times, um, I would certainly say mental health is the one that's increasing. And for me, it's probably the one I have the least of small drop in the uh, Wi-Fi there. So, um, Josh, sorry, just continue on. I'm really I'm interested with the, the up, you know, the uptake with mental health. So does that mean you're receiving students that are more in like depressed or what are some of the, what are some of the issues with mental health that you're seeing? Probably anxiety, the highest depression, then followed by depression, but even, even some to the extent where I guess it's um, you know, students that are dealing with more severe things like self-harm and, and, and whatnot. I think it's multiple, multiple, uh, multiple factors that have, have affected this in the sense where we come from COVID times, um, certainly I think had an impact. I think that the, the pressures and anxieties in today's world, just today's world running as quick as it does, I think a lot of the students struggle with that. Um, and partly for me, I, I feel it's one, one where, um, Staff in general are probably not as well trained because we can we are teachers. We're not psychologists. Yeah. We're not doctors. We're not all these other things that we you know have to be at times. But um, the school I'm currently at, uh, uh, which is Hillcrest Christian College, a great, a great school, and um, they have a whole department now where they have learning uh, a learning support department as well. But they've got a department where they have um, I think more social workers than actual psychologists on site, and then the um, some of the clients will have their uh, psychologist who then contacts the social worker who liaises with us. So it's sort of and, and parents. So it's sort of this, you know, whole group of people involved in, in supporting this one child. So as they always used to say, it takes a village, right? So that's um, exactly what I say. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a village, especially to the end today's society with all the, you know, the issues bombarding students. Um, that's why I want to do these interviews because I feel like it does take a village, right? We don't always, um, understand sort of what we could be doing to help. And by listening to someone else who's doing the same thing, it makes, you know, makes a big difference. So do you find that, is it mainly when the students just kind of get their feelings out and talk about things? Is it, does it help? Or are there any specific strategies that you're learning or is it kind of every student is different? It's a mix. It's a mix. So I've recently been trained. Well, it was a couple of years ago now. I think I've just fallen out of training in um, uh, mental health first aid, okay. which is a, pro a course that they do. So I think probably too that course has helped me make me more aware. So maybe I'm noticing and seeing it more because I've got a bit more understanding around around its impact. But it's just it's I guess unlike the other like ASD, and sometimes it is students who have who have the multi-diagnosis. So you've got your students with, with autism spectrum autism spectrum disorder who may have anxiety as well. Also the other one I find is interesting is trauma. Trauma will mask a lot of these same type of things. We we, we boil it down, we find out it's that rather than it is you know, ADHD or ASD or, or anxiety, which well, certainly is still anxiety related. Um, but we're getting ones who have experienced a fire at home. 
And whenever the fire alarm goes, or whenever an alarm, if a car alarm goes nearby us or whatnot, and and we, we find that there's impact that way. So it's a matter of preparing them and letting them know if, if the fire alarm's coming, we can do that. So there's ones that are quite manageable mm-hmm. and ones that we find are really difficult. It's a social interaction one. You know, school's full of social interaction, as I'm sure we'll talk about later. The program I'm in now is, has a lot of social interaction. So, and you're out in society, you're out moving around. Um, so it's really quite hard when the impact is, is along something around those lines um, that uh, that they struggle with. So it, it really does vary, but it's certainly um, an increase. It's certainly for us the um, uh, a bit more, not, not difficult to manage, but, you know, get a better understanding of, I guess, and to make sure staff have a better understanding of this area. So what advice would you give um, like a, any like a student, a teacher or even a parent who might suspect that the student like that there is a more higher level of anxiety or depression or mental health issues? What would you recommend or what advice would you give them moving forward? What would you tell them to sort of do as like a first step? It's great. Great. Um, the uh, the key thing, I think, for teachers is we have to be aware that we can't diagnose these things. It, we, we can, you know, there are sometimes little questionnaires you can do. Uh, you can give an idea to say that's there, but we've got to be very careful ourselves. Yeah, about diagnosing it. That's a psychologist. Yeah. In my scenario, I'm lucky because we've got the social workers here. So I can say, look, the student's showing some of these these signs. I'm a little worried. Can you guys have a talk? Many of the schools I've worked at, that's not the case. So if you don't have that, I guess it would be liaising with that parent as soon as you possibly can to say, look, you know, I've just I've, I've noticed these things. I've witnessed this. I just, I, you know, my feeling or my understanding of, of, of this area, it might be something worth uh, having a look at. The vast majority of parents I've had that conversation with, it's gone really well. Um, and parents have then followed up and tried to find that. Now, it's a little harder sometimes to get it for testing here. It can take six months or, or longer, um, which I'm sure is a lot of places around the world. That's that's a difficulty, but um, it's that's another area you can sort of go over from there. That's that's a struggle, but you you will get there. Um, and then a few times I have had parents where they've struggled with that. Most often, I've found that the parents themselves possibly had it or or yeah. or, or lived through it and have not dealt with it themselves. Um, so, so it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting conversation, but it's one, if you get the support from a team or have other members who've seen it, I certainly wouldn't probably do those things alone. I guess I did in my, in my leadership role, but even the role I'm in now, I probably would just try to get other people involved and then have that conversation to try to, to smooth it over or hope it goes well. Yeah. I think you make a really valid point with, you know, parents, especially if you're raised, you know, more old school, you didn't go and talk to someone about your trauma or your, you know, anxiety or your depression. It's only recently come into light in the last five years. I think it's so important to that for parents that if they have also been through trauma, that they also should be going out and talking to someone and it's okay you know, it doesn't make you, there's this stigma sometimes that it makes you like weak, but I feel that it actually makes you strong, that you have the strength to go out and, and you know, and talk to someone about how you're feeling. And it's always like I tell, you know, I tell my students, like if you had a big gash on your arm, you would go to a doctor. But if you have a big gash on your heart or your brain, 
you just hide it, right? No, you should also go to a doctor and get it fixed, right? Try and talk it through. So that's great that you're, that you, that Australia is trying to really help out with that for sure. Yeah. Same thing, same thing for teachers too. And I know ours yeah. offer six councils that you can go to uh, and use that. You can have six sessions without you having to pay. And I think that there probably will be a lot of organizations that, the EQ side of things, I think, is a real push now. IQ and EQ, and I think yeah. the EQ side of things is really gaining momentum and its importance. And really, I know for us here, we like to do the full, uh, whole rounded student coming from all sides, really, that IQ is important. But if you get the EQ and everything else right, then the IQ will follow. If the EQ is not right and there's something off and there's an imbalance or there's something you struggle, then that's really hard for that to, to it has an impact on the IQ. Yeah. Um, and big over here, like the whole Aussie bloke side of things where they say, you know, toughen up and you know, have a cup of cement, that kind of stuff like that. And the whole big push now is the are you OK day to just check on to make sure you're finding out are people OK, because it is something that I agree with you. You're stronger for dealing with it than you are weaker and keeping inside. So. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, I think as I think, like you say, with the Aussie bloke thing, you know, especially for men and boys, you know, being able to tell them that it's it's OK to also talk. It's not just a female thing. Right. Everybody has, you know, no, everybody sometimes comes across difficulties in their mental health. And then if you go and talk to someone, it just allows you to push through your life at such a higher level um, as opposed to being, you know, uh, sort of trapped within this, uh, with this, with, you know, maybe an issue that you're dealing with. So I think that's really important. I, I'm really glad you brought up the teacher mental health in Australia, because I think it's important for other um, schools around the world, even to hear what you're doing. So you said, so basically, teachers have six free mental health sessions. And is that with a counselor on site? Or do they have, you know, a list of counselors you can go to? Or how does it work? So I don't know exactly that part, that side of things, but it's not on site because okay. it is anonymous. So you keep it anonymous so that you don't have that uh, that set up. I'm not exactly sure how right. they know it's your six sessions or, or whatnot if someone else does it. Um, but there is there is a, co- a company, I believe, that we're affiliated with. Then you contact them and then they set you up with who the person is and whatnot. Um, I haven't used it as of yet. I was actually thinking about using it this year, so it's probably good timing. <laughs> there you and, go. I'll, and I'll know more if we want to have a follow-up session on it. But, uh, <laughs> Amazing. But yeah, it's, it's, um, look, I, I only see that as increasing um, and, and, uh, and, and being and more and more from there because I believe a lot of companies will see the value in the EQ, whereas before, you know, people thought, well, what is this mental health day break and whatnot? Mm-hmm. And they, they see that, look, I'm, I'm going to say, and I don't have an actual stats for this. I reckon there's more mental health days that are taken off than actual sick days. And, and if not, yeah. I would imagine it's going to be. I agree. I agree. And like in your, I mean, there's a few, you know, theories on where the increase in mental health is coming from the issues with mental health and teachers, but what do you feel are some of the biggest reasons that teachers are really battling with their mental health right now? Probably the load that is put on. It's just changed so much. We were supposed to be counselors, doctors, um, you know, uh, psychologists, engineers. We have to work out problems of, of, you know. Administrators. (laughs) Major. Mind readers, right? Everything. Mind readers, yeah. The teaching side of thing is honestly the smallest component of what I do. 
And yeah. it, oddly, that was the biggest part of the job, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And, and before that, certainly, if the major job is you were in the up in front teaching, but that's now so much so small of, of uh, so small portion of what you're supposed to be doing. We're also we keep in touch all the time now. Now we've got a 48 hour um, reply to email. That's during you know, time, which is, which is a fair one, but I've been in other places where within 24 hours you had to reply. I've usually heard 24 hours yeah. at eight or nine o'clock at night on a Sunday, you know? So it's, it's really difficult if, if 20, you know, all the time you're on, you know, and there are jobs where you're on call like a doctor or something, but I guess you're prepared and you're set for that teaching yes. just seems to me to expand this, you know, seven days a week, 24 hour a day, job not that we're doing stuff all those times but that it that it does that they're even looking at increasing um like decreasing holiday time by increasing the amount of non-contact time so we're gonna have to start to do more pd during our holiday time and whatnot so it just i always find holiday time for us and, I, and we'll talk about i'm sure later is it, it get, allows us to go back down to our base level you know our baseline and if we if we don't have that time to do that, then we don't go or bring ourselves back down. And we're already heightened by the time we come in, you know, back to work or whatnot. So when I've only just started back last week and the kids came today for the first day. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. The amount It definitely has changed in the time that I've been teaching. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I think also, you know, teachers, I know a lot of teachers who are so worried about getting into like trouble that they feel that they need to respond to an email at nine o'clock at night on a Sunday. And I think, you know, for your own mental health, you have to have those boundaries. You have to be able to set boundaries for yourself and, you know, maybe turn off your notifications for your email on the weekend or something like that. You are not obligated because it's like you say, if you're on call, that's different because that's within your contract, essentially, right? But if but you also need a break from being forced to do certain things. And I know for a fact that there are teachers out there who put those boundaries in place and nothing happens. It's not like someone comes to them and says, oh, you should have answered that email at nine o'clock. Nothing happens because those boundaries are respected and understood you know so i feel like i, I get really passionate about that <laughs> no, i agree with you we, we have to be advocates for our own mental health yeah. and sometimes we, we if we don't put that stuff in place and and, and you know me I, i'm a caring loving person and i want to do everything i can do but i had yeah. to learn to say no there yeah. had to be a time where i just said look this is my sixth uh you know trip i've gone on with the kids this year I can't do another one, you know, you're gonna have to pick someone else to do it because you just it's and trips are wonderful and I love them, but uh they're field trips or excursions or whatnot, but they're just they're you're again when you're there, you are pretty much 24-7 with yep. them, even when you're sleeping, stuff comes up and then things happen. So it's something you need a downtime from. So it's yeah, it's yeah, we gotta be, make sure we're advocates for ourselves and, and learn what we can do and can't do. And support ourselves and know that there there is always someone who will who will have your back you know what I mean and making sure things are going well so absolutely I feel like it's almost like performance abuse right you want to you want to do well you want to add value you want to be the best teacher you can be but then because your performance is so high that gets abused by you being like oh well Josh will be able to he's the one you want to go on the trip because he's so good at, at what he does on those trips like make sure you get Josh and then it's like, well, you know, don't get Larry, 
like Larry's going to mess everything up, right? Because Larry has kind of set that kind of bar for himself, perhaps. And you know those teachers. And I feel that's why the boundaries are so important because you don't want that performance abuse, right? You want to you want to do your best, but you don't want extra uh, more added to the load in order just because you're good at your job. So that's why I feel, yeah, definitely. I know exactly what you're saying there. You have to, as teachers, we have to put, we have to put those boundaries in place for ourselves for sure. Sometimes I feel Larry does it on purpose. Yes, <laughs> I agree. Larry does do it on purpose. I think so too. But his, men- his mental health could be very good. Yeah. <laughs> we all need to aspire to be Larry, right? A little bit. We need a little bit of Larry. We need some Larry. A bit of Larry in all of us. A bit of Larry. <laughs> Amazing. Um, okay, Josh, I actually wanted to um, ask you because you started, I don't know if it was this year or before, but I know you were... Um, be, be the rise program so when did you get involved with the rise program i don't think it's everywhere what exactly no. is it no so it's it's inaugural year was last year at our school it's it's uh based on other programs but i don't believe there's any exactly like rise but it's based on other other programs so they started january of last year i came in august of last year so i finished off the group that was just there had a bit of time with them, and then the new group, we started with them. So they actually started, they do term four, year nines become year tens. So you've okay. got a full full year of 10, 11, 12, and they actually reduce the year in nine, which I actually think is quite good. Uh, Curriculum-wise here in, in Australia, at least, um, year nine is probably not as cumbersome. It's a, a lot of building on year seven and eight. Um, and, and a few new concepts where 10, re- 10 is probably another not bad year. But 11 and 12, there's so many new concepts that you're you're going off of that it's good to have that full year. Um, and it's just a, a quite a good program in the sense that it supports outdoor education as well as being off-site. So, the vast, so I'm on the Gold Coast, and the vast majority of us are at the Reedy Creek campus. But the year nines get bussed every day. So we come to Reedy Creek, and we get bussed to the Coolangatta campus, which is... You know, 20 minutes away normally, but there's a bit of, a bit of road work right now. So probably about a half hour <laughs> of recent time. And uh, we're in a shopping center. So we're actually on the level two, which is the third floor uh, of the shopping center with an NRMA near us and a couple other organizations right yes. next to us. Uh, and we teach uh, down there. The beach is right there. So we do our PE down at a, at a footy field or the beach. Or there's um, a grass area close to the beach. Sometimes we'll do like a touch footy there or whatnot. So it just gives, there's a lot of movement. So things, students with like ADHD, it's great for. Because you see all these issues at, at in the classroom and whatnot. The class, ours is so well spread out that your, your, your double lesson is an hour and 20 minutes. You get that once a week, you know. And the other times you get an hour lessons. And then sometimes you get 40 minute lessons. So there's there are some longer lessons but there there's time in between there's time to move around there's time for them to get up They're they're down at a beach for lunch or they're at the park for lunch they all play as a group look it's taken a lot there's a lot of risk management we have a guy who's in charge of risk uh, we have a guy who's in charge of curriculum and then we have a guy who's in charge of students so there's three leaders plus myself on the team and six or eight other teachers that form the whole team that we, that we take that it's 164 kids i think was the last count that's um, what i'm going to ask you is it all the grade nines or do you enter the this nines. program okay so it's all the grade nines all that do this nines, okay correct. yeah and we've had some parents sign in to be part of it 
other nice. parents saying, oh, no, we want a more of an academic year in year nine. I've always considered year nine the lost year. Uh, I have a lot to do with year nine throughout my throughout my time. And it's always been one where they're, you know, students are maturing at different ages. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on biologically inside of them. And sometimes they're not really focused on learning. Yeah. Um, so uh, my my almost my own daughter just finished year nine. She's in year 10 now. So, the, you know, I got a pretty good understanding in that sense. And so it's good, I think, to push the curriculum into a smaller amount of time, but also give them these different ways to present. So it's very project based. It's very, um, uh, you know, lesson oriented in the fact that it is academic. But we also focus on the EQ. We also focus on our, our support of the school. So our beliefs and values of the school. So we do service. So on Fridays, they have something called Future Fridays where they can do service activities and, and be part of the, uh, the community and help out. We've done old age homes. We do um, vinnies. We do um, soup kitchens and, and anything to support like that. So it just allows the students, what I found, were far more aware Mm -hmm. of people around them and of others and far more responsible than say your average year nine students from not doing the program so it is quite beneficial not only academics again i think we're looking at the fact that the eq gets done well and then they build from there so the academics can again be more of a focus and can come not necessarily come easier but they're more prepared they're more right. confident they're more um, and with that brings that success in the academics, which we've only had the one semester here of them being in year 10 so far, but it's, but it's showing good results so far. And I think like with the EQ, which is their emotional intelligence. Um, so out of curiosity, like if, if you were to go to another district and get the grade nine program, the grade nines didn't have this program. Are there certain lessons that obviously have been taken out of your curriculum or like would a regular grade nine program also be looking at emotional intelligence or is or not really is it more more specific to this program this rise program i would say probably not as much okay. i'd probably say it's something that's limited to programs not only rise but other programs where that's become a focus yeah we've already had a couple of local schools come take a look at it last year and see right. what we're doing and what we're done i know there's some in, in melbourne and sydney uh so new south wales and victoria yeah. where they're they're very focused on this probably a really well-known school here in melbourne um, has a program, I think it's treetops or tree something, uh, where it's where it's very focused on the same type of thing. And their success shows that year nine is phenomenal. And that it sometimes, depending, can peter off a bit in their 10, 11, 12, um, because I guess if it's such success at that in the year nine that they're they're not noticed that we haven't that noticed that yet, but we only have the one year of data. Yeah. I just so think far. it's so, brilliant because yeah, sorry. I, I just think it's brilliant because something has to change in the way education is being taught, right? This is not 1872 anymore. And we can't, you know, just like technology is moving quickly. It's incredible to me how I, the, the, the methods of teaching and education are moving so slowly. And I think, I hope people listen to this and really investigate the RISE program because it sounds like exactly something that so many districts could benefit from or so many kids could benefit from so thank you yeah i i absolutely no i love it i was actually getting you know disenchanted with with teaching because of that but it wasn't changing 
more and more was, was being put onto us. I was getting to the point where something's going to break here, guys. I, you know, if it's me or whatever else yep. it is, something's going to break. And I, I think for me, it's really, um, you know, I've only been there, like I said, for a little over a term. But it really has reignited my passion for for learning and for working with these students to support in a way that 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 gives them a benefit. And some of the same ones you see in the classroom are so very different if we're putting out them on them on surfboards or surf life saving or fishing or you know doing all the other stuff we're doing. You see them in such a different light, like yeah. you would when you go on a field trip or an excursion. But we we do that every week, so there is no no excursion, no camp. Because every week we're doing all that kind of stuff with them all, all the time. So yeah, it's, that's it's very good. That's incredible. It's incredible. I imagine, yeah, you even because I think like you wouldn't necessarily need to be right next to a beach to do this. As long as you had access to some sort of space that you could take the kids on a regular basis, then um, it's definitely something to look into. I hope, I hope more students or administrators listen to this and realize, oh, this is something we should look into because like you said, I, you're not the only teacher who's become disenchanted. I mean, teachers are leaving teaching at an alarming rate. And I think this is one of the reasons, you know, is because it's not changing. It's not, you know, changing. And the kids themselves are getting incredibly frustrated, which makes it more frustrating um, for the teachers. Um, anyways, but I wanted to ask you, like with teaching high school, and I know you are doing this different program, but you were telling me about a few strategies with like routines. What did you call them? Like curb cuts, um, curb cuts and baseline and baseline. Yeah. So these are, what are, what are those things when it comes to okay. dealing with high school students? Yeah. 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 So I've been using these ones for years and most of the times I've done my PD and stuff like that. It's been on these two areas. Um, so baseline, I'll start off with baseline is just your norm. I think it's, it's from, a, it's none of these are my, my concepts I've developed, just <laughs> no ones I've, I've grabbed and used and, and, you know, changed and, you know, manipulated and done. Yeah, that's okay. That's um, the way to do it. I think it was PBS that first came out with it, but I'm not certain of that. Um, but it was just your baseline is like your norm. So I always show a chart saying, okay, there is no normal anymore. Getting connected, knowing students, the more you know about them, the more you know when they're at their normal, and more importantly, the more you know when they're off their normal. So if you, if we can pick up a lot of these issues that can occur on the earlier stages, and we don't keep building upon that, then I think it's beneficial because the more we know about our students, the more we'll know for they're off that baseline, and we can try to stop it from getting into something bigger. Okay. Um, and that, that really, that impacts, the, and that I say that you need to do it as a staff member, you need to know your students, but you also need to know yourself. And if you need to have like a significant other or a friend tell you, you know, what sets you off, what's, you know, how, you know, when, how do you recognize when you're going off your base? I, I think it's important for us to know that as well. Um, and maybe that's when we do have to say, no, I can't do this next thing. Yeah. I actually need a bit of a break. Yeah. Um, or otherwise, we find ourselves breaking down and taking a lot more time. Or, yeah, you know, and exactly. The tough part there is when we do take the time like that, which I believe people deserve, certainly, but it has an impact on the other teachers because more often than not, they can't just get a casual in to cover all of that. And if they do get a casual, they can't do some of those extracurricular roles and other roles that other teachers then have to step in and do. And then it's just a problem. It's a cycle. You know, and oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's off their baseline, yeah, builds and goes. So it's just a matter of looking out for ourselves, for other staff members, and ultimately for the students, really. Um, 100%. And because it's, yeah, so I was to say in South Africa, with what you're saying there, um, if a teacher is absent, it's other teachers normally that will cover 
th- that class, right? So your frees get taken away. Um, in and and you know, I mean, in the UK, we actually had one staff member that was dedicated to covering other teachers. And I wish schools would sort of implement that more because it is very difficult when you're expecting that time and you don't get it as a teacher, yeah. right? So anyway, sorry, again, I just again, wanted to... No, again, yeah. we're quite lucky at this school. We have three, one in the juniors, one in the middle school, one in the seniors, same thing. They're, they're a full-time um, teacher who just goes in and covers classes. Yeah. But like always, sometimes you'll have 17 te- teachers off on the one day and yeah. not on the other day. So it's, it's kind of, <laughs> it has that mix, but still it does, it, it is such a good practice to be able to have. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks. And the curb cuts you were saying, sorry. Yeah. Curb cuts, yeah. So curb cuts are those cuts in the curb. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you spell the curb, whichever way. There's a curb. <laughs> uh, the North American, the Aussie. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's the cuts in the curb that generally originally were there. So it's universal design for learning is where this comes from. And it's originally was there for uh, wheelchairs and it went global quite quickly. But the vast, they were built for wheelchairs with wheelchairs in mind. But then we had people with bikes, skateboards, luggage. Uh, the vast majority of us walk across where there is that, that curb, that cut in the curb, you know, except for the ones that really want to go quickly. They just sort of jump the side and go over. But yeah. it, the idea is it was one thing in mind, one person in mind, or one group of people in mind, but it supported multiple students. So one of the things I used is primary school. We know really well how to put a, a table on the board uh, so that students know it. it's maths, then science, then recess, then English, then humanities, then, then lunch, you know, and then PE in the afternoon. Yeah. But we don't tend to do that in secondary classes. So what I used to do is I used to put them on the board in secondary classes. And I used to say, okay, we're coming in. You know, you're coming to history or science, whatever the class is, because that's what they're coming to. So I don't really need that. I did a learning aim to tell them what they're supposed to learn in this subject, because I don't understand why we don't tell students what they're supposed to learn over these periods. Yeah. But the vast majority of people do They that. do like that, knowing yeah. what the topic yeah. is about, yeah, what they're going to learn. Yeah. And then at the end of the lesson, I'd always check, did they learn that? Because if not, I got to cover it again. I'd always have a thought of the day, which was a thought-provoking question that may, they may not necessarily answer then, they may answer later. Nice. And then I had a, time, a plan or a timetable sort of what the lesson was going to be like. So I used things like IW, which was individual work, uh, you know, PW, pairs work, GW, group work, um, teacher talk was TT, a summary of the lesson. So I'd say teacher talk, five to 10 minutes. Um, then I'd say individual work for 15 minutes and then pair work for 15 minutes to finish off the five minute summary. And that was the lesson. So I'd give them the task. Then they'd have to uh, talk about the task. I'd tell them what to do. Then they have the task in front of them individually, work on it. Then they group work with a partner to then work out, you know, how did they go? What did they learn? So they learn from each other. Sometimes we would give it back to the class. So that might be the next lesson. We might have a few people bring them up. And then I would summarize it to make sure they got from that topic. With the RISE program, we do the same thing on the bus. So your partner you're sitting with next to on the bus, you're supposed to talk about that lesson and see if they got what they were supposed to from the other person. So at least you've got that other person that might have got a different understanding. Right. Um, so it's such a it's such a benefit and reinforces that learning. Um, and oftentimes, it's harder on a bus, but oftentimes I would try to pick pick the pairs or have different activities where they got different pairs because otherwise they pick the same people all the time of course and sometimes certainly i'd try to have pairs where i knew if especially groups 
I would always have one really strong student in a group, two that were struggling, and one that was kind of your, your BC that was sort of doing what it was going to support those ones that were struggling and getting that understanding. And, it, and then at first people were like, but then the A student's going to miss out. And I'm not really, because mm. the A student got to teach it. Yeah, and we all know if you can teach it, you know it better than if you're just that's learning. it. Teach a man a fish, right? Or teach a person a fish, yeah. <laughs> right? right? They so. then they they learn that they learn the skill, right? Rather than catching the fish for them. So I absolutely agree, right? If you can teach it. Um, before I get to my last question, I just want to know if you had like advice to give to a new high school teacher. So someone's like coming out of teacher's college and they want some advice from you. What are like one or two things you would tell them? in terms of, you know, teaching high school or things that you feel might benefit them? Yeah, great. Um, one of the things I will say is that I, at one time, I thought about uh, going in to be a professor to teach teachers. I don't think it's done overly well. I think mm-hmm. it's getting better. Um, but my focus on the teaching, if say you said it was a four-year degree to do teaching, then I would do three years of on-the-job training, one year of the theory. We all remember yep. Lono's hats. We all remember Hattie. We all know all these theorists that I almost never use inside the classroom saying, he's got a yellow hat. He's got a yeah. We don't do these things, right? No. They're wonderful theories to learn. We can do it all in a year and, be, and, and it, it's great. Yeah. But the more time we have, and I would say there's other jobs like nursing where I would do the same thing. And, and again, I don't know exactly what's done in nursing, so I shouldn't say talk about it too much, but I, I just think the on-the-job training is oh, so the, It's so critical, the on-the-job, absolutely. Yeah. And a variety. Do the primary school. Do the grade school. Do, do yeah. different schools. Don't go to the same three schools that are almost identical with the same group of students. You know, I, I sometimes love when some teachers are, you know, complaining about their day or whatnot. And then you say, okay, yeah, but I imagine you in a public school or imagine you here. You know, I've taught in Catholic schools. I've taught in public schools. I've taught now in a Christian school. Um, you know, so having that variety and that chance to see the different places. I've taught in big cities. So I've done I've done the Sydney ones, I've done the London ones, which you know about. We did and I did Toronto. So then yeah. I'm in smaller places now, you know, and not the Gold Coast is small, but um, you know, but it's uh yeah, they all have their benefits, they all have their struggles to go through. I would also say to find a mentor. Yeah. And a lot of times the mentor that they stick with us is maybe a mentor academically. And I don't find a lot of teachers actually need that. Some some may, and if you do great, that's fine. I actually find you need a mentor who personally you get on with well. Yeah. And that you can actually maintain a, not necessarily a friendship, but a, but a, a career-focused friendship, I guess, like an acquaintance or whatnot, people you keep in touch with. Because you want that, you're going to want that same person or a person of that similar knowledge as you go on the road, because you may not have a problem your first couple of years, and then you may your third year, you don't want it all to unravel. A lot of times when we do an academic person, if it's say the head of English who's your mentor because you're teaching English, there's not a, there's not always a connection. Between right. Them. And I think that connection, like with the students, I think that connection is paramount. And I think that if you have that, that person will be there to support you, whether they leave that place or not, they may go teach in another school, but you might still keep in contact with them. Most people I have worked with, not all, most I have kept in contact with. It's certainly every school I've worked at, there's people that I know, still talk to, and still glean on for ideas and support, and they glean on me back. So yes. it, it, it's, you know, it's beneficial. So as a first-time teacher, look for those things 
um, that are really going to support you through the process. Because if your idea is to be in this profession for, you know, as long until you retire, which now it is 40 years, I think it'll be 50 by the time <laughs> you know, I get there to, to keep working. Um, you know, you're going to want to make sure it's something that you love and enjoy and, and it challenges you and, and does all those things. So um, it is it is definitely something to look towards. I think the key as well, um, and this is one thing it took me a while to learn in teaching, is to find that someone that you can trust because we all know that there are teachers out there that can really sap your energy because they're very negative and they're they're very willing to kind of throw you under the bus at any given opportunity. And you don't want to get trapped into bad mouthing other teachers or other things about school or the kids or whatever it is. But you need that one person that you can trust because you're going to need to vent about everything that's going on. You have to, but you don't, you need to vent to someone who is not going to then take your words and throw them back at you to someone else. Right. Right. And I don't know if that made sense, but you know what I mean (laughs) to go out and talk to someone else about them, because then that's just another thing that adds on to your mental health. And I know with me towards the end of my teaching, um, my years of teaching, I had that one person and it was, and that was my colleague, my teaching colleague and her and I would definitely, you know, vent to each other, but we knew that it wasn't going to go any further than anybody else, than us, than the two of us, because we'd had those situations where you would just talk to anybody in the staff room and you would badmouth people or badmouth kids or whatever the admin administration. And that can really cause um, a teacher to be sort of in a more negative space. Yes. So I definitely agree with finding the mentor and finding a mentor that you can trust, finding someone who is going to kind of guide you and help you. And like, because then you will also become the mentor. I think that is so important. And I just had one more thing to say before my last question to you, going back to what you said um, before that about being on the job as a t- teacher in training, um, because the training in the, in the universities, it's not always, you need to be on the job. I remember... I had a student teacher and she came in and I'm like, okay, let me see your planning for this lesson. And Josh, like her planning was, was like 12 pages long. I was like, what's going on here? (laughs) She's like, no, that's what we were taught in teacher's college that we must do this. And this is like, this is unrealistic. You cannot this maintain. will never happen. <laughs> a teacher will never have time to do 12 pages of planning for one lesson. I was like... <laughs> and that's, things like learning support, they're getting better. They, they, they do much more time. When I went through, we had four uh, hours, not even four days, four <laughs> hours, one day. Yeah. Of, of training and it was at first originally i thought it was the full day but it wasn't even that we had stuff in yeah. the morning and stuff in the afternoon Crazy. it was the block in the middle that you had the four hours for support and this is your crash course on you know it then became days and then weeks where you got it and now i think they get a full-on lesson because they come out and i ask them to do nccd work or i ask them to do different learning support type stuff and they're they're honestly better than the teachers that have been doing it for 20 years yeah because they're used to the jargon. They're used to what to do. They know what they have to write. So in some aspects, there is good elements to it. But again, I think you could cram all that into a year and get them there more than on the job to realize I can't do these 12 pages. Maybe a unit yeah. plan could be 12 pages, yes. but I need to break this down that I can, <laughs> that I can you know, go from there. So it's, uh, 100%. it's phenomenal. 
Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And my last question for you, Josh, is um, like, what is one thing that you do to keep yourself calm when things get pretty chaotic? Well, here in Australia, uh, more recently, uh, I play ice hockey again. Really? Uh, you know, which is, yeah, yeah, we got a place on the Gold Coast here. There's actually a few up, up in Brisbane and, and more of the major cities have it. So um, that's one of the things. I think any any physical activity, yeah, any opportunity, if, you, if, if the emotional side of things, if you want, if you want to write things down, I think is great. And if it's something you're worried about, I, I don't even mind if you write it down, crumple it up and burn it or yeah. throw it away or burn get rid it. of it. You know, get it out of your mind. Not necessarily you've got to keep it and reflect on it, look back on it, although it is good to reflect, certainly. But, um, you know, if you need that as well, then that's great. Um, but if you can have that physical activity, you know, I think I think a lot of people say, we'll go home and have a beer or a wine or relax in that, in that way. But I think if you can more uh, mental health wise, if you can more physically go out and do something. So I go to the gym quite, quite often and I, and, I, and I try, I've lost weight. So I've tried to continue to do that. And I come up with plans in that way. I think all of that helps support the rest of the stuff that you do in your life as well. So it all kind of works together. So if you can have plans that get you healthy, fit and focused, and that's great. And it's a matter of, can we fit that in with family and, and all the other pressures and everything else going on? Um, but you have to really, and this is something I've only come to later in life. You have to prioritize you. Yeah, they prioritize you know? it. Yeah. You, and you have to prioritize, you have to make it part of like, you have, you have to be healthy to be able to do all those other things that you want to do to support people. Cause if you are yourself, like, like when I will talk about myself, like when I started to put, put on the weight, I put on about 20 kilos. Um, and I just then wasn't as active with the kids. I wasn't doing as much as I used to do. Uh, you know, I wasn't playing sport at the time and, and it just sort of, and I probably work wise, I was a leader. So I was a leader at a school uh, and I was involved in a lot of stuff that went on with the school. And I've certainly, uh, that was there was an emergency or something that happened to school. I was one of the people who were involved and, and part of it. So it was definitely time consuming. It was definitely, which was wonderful. I did love the job, um, but it also took away in other ways. And you've got to kind of come up with that balance of what you're looking for. So my thoughts now is even even at this stage, if I was to be asked to be a leader again, I would say no at this stage um, because I need to store out a few things in my life and everything around to then be able to say, okay, I need to focus on this first before I possibly will go back to that one day. Yeah. Um, 100%. Yeah. I think it's important to get that work life balance as best you can to, to, to work on that and, and find out what works best for you. And everybody's different. Yeah. There are certain things you find, whatever you like to do and make and fit and healthy and do it dancing, do, do whatever activities you like. Yeah. Um, you know, swim in a pool, do whatever it is. So it's, uh, yeah. Even a short walk with the kids, like after school, like just prioritizing that before I know it's me, you know, I used to, I used to be one of the, the have wine when you get home teachers, right? Like I would always have wine and my husband doesn't drink. So it was me help, you know, I, all the wine was mine. And now that when I, once I stopped that and really started to prioritize my health a little bit more the the next day was just so much better you know and from when i had been drinking wine the night before when the and the next day then would just be so much more difficult because my brain is foggy and i'm tired and you know and now that i don't do that you know i wake up with like purpose and i feel and i again like you said it's not for everybody but it's just a change that i made that i'm really grateful that i did choose to make I feel like you can solve the problem the next day or at least work on the problem where if you do go the other way, 
the problem only gets greater and greater and greater. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you one thing. I miss our walks. You know, you and I used to walk together and whatnot. So it was always great because we walked through towns and cities and stuff like that and see the buildings and whatnot. So um, I, I, I think walking is a great one. Yeah, I never walked more than with you, Josh. We, I mean, we'd go for, remember that time in Canada, we were walking and someone called your mom because they were worried that why were we walking in Canada? That's like not... How come they're not driving? How come they're Why not are they like, driving? They like walking. <laughs> I agree. And, and a lot of our problems got solved in those walks, too. You know, like yeah. you talk about things. We were able to work things out and talk stuff through. And yeah, yeah. it's excellent. So. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me and, and, our, and giving our listeners such valuable insights and information. And, and you know, especially our teacher listeners. And yeah, it's just always so wonderful to to see you, even though I don't get to see you, um, you know, in in phase every day, but it's okay. Once, uh, when we both have our year that we turn 50, you know, I'm coming to Australia. So <laughs> I'm super excited. Really and uh, <laughs> yeah, and thank you so much. I hope you have a really great far week off. ahead. Yeah, not that far off. That's true. I hope you have a really great week ahead because I know with the kids starting today. Um, yeah, and just thank you so much. No problem. Anytime. Keep in touch. And, and, and if you need me back on for another session or whatnot, let me know. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a quick reminder that it is for informational purposes only and nothing that was said should be uh, taken as medical advice. If you are um, finding difficulty with mental health or know someone who is, please, we encourage you to seek professional advice. Definitely. If you would like to go and check out my YouTube video of this podcast on teacher mindset, please do. And you could subscribe to my channel and, or you could also just like the podcast itself to push it further up in the algorithm. <laughs> All right. Wishing you a year filled with love, light, and laughter. Take care.